Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Good morning, Erickson Covenant. Hope you're doing well. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective Church. Just a hop and a skip over in Langley, British Columbia. Uh, we we love the fact that we get to be part of an amazing church of uh, family of churches uh, out here in Canada, like the Evangelical Covenant, and we're just so grateful that this is an opportunity to to be connected, to be on the same page together. We believe that God is at work in a powerful way across this country, and to be able to be Part of it together is a privilege. Now, uh, when uh, Pastor Tommy reached out to me and he asked me to share this summer, one of the things that I am constantly reflecting on and being made aware of is that the thing that is appropriate to share or is needed to be shared on Sunday has less to do with saying exactly what is right for you as much as what God is trying to work and challenge and convict within me. And because out of that space of being convicted and challenged, I I think that that's when revelation comes out of it and and where that real birthing of of hope can really take place. And so for, for myself at City Collective, we were in the midst of a series going through the book of James over a course of six weeks. And in particular, James 1 seemed to stick with me. It seemed to be an ever-present part of my, my mindset or my story. And as I was considering it, I was wondering, why is this sticking with me? And what I've recognized is that there are certain rhythms of our current reality. Uh, health updates and restrictions. Uh, we're in the middle of, hopefully on the other side of this pandemic, but still there is this feeling where certain people have different opinions on distancing and and the way that we're approaching things moving forward and there's this general sense of acute as well as chronic discomfort it it is chronically uncomfortable in many ways and this this discomfort is kind of landed on the in the midst of all that we're doing there was a, a article i believe is from the new york times that got released recently talking about the space that people have found themselves in in the midst of this pandemic and a lot of us have kind of maybe associated with this sense of depression, but there, yes, there is a, a medical level of depression in which we need to be very, very truthful with and very careful with and something that we can approach. But in the midst of all of this, it, it has less to the side of depression and more to the sense of languishing, stuck in the middle, not sure of where to go, uh, kind of caught in the in-between and left with the feeling of, I don't know what was, I don't know what is, and I most definitely know, don't know what is next. And out of this sense of discomfort, I think that we have been robbed of this sense of joy. That I can't experience the fullness of the moment because all I experience right now is the discomfort of the season. So in the midst of all of this, 
this is where it has brought me to James chapter 1. Because uh, James, he, he doesn't try to create a large theological disposition that is above us and is heady. He tries to provide something super practical, something real. He's punchy. He's direct. James goes for the jugular in, in, in so many good ways. And he tries to provide something that we can really grab hold of for our current situation. He addresses everyday issues of life. How we speak. How we think about wealth or lack of wealth. How we approach conflict. How we approach sickness and suffering. And it's all meant to move us to a place of truly following what he says in chapter 2, verse 1, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And it will show us what James does. He wants to show us is that genuine faith can look a certain way in real life that is distinctive, that, that, that moves and works hard. And he wants to lead us to a place where we are pursuing Jesus more wholeheartedly and more radically than ever before. And so that's our aim for this morning, to even get a sense of how joy can lead us to that place. How, how the discomfort that we're in doesn't have to have the final word. Now, uh, we're going to read the passage of scripture this morning. We're in particular, going to, we're going to read out of James 1 verses 2 and 4. But before we do that, I want to ask you just a quick question. Where do you find joy? The Bible talks about it a lot. In fact, it talks about it as something maybe you find in, in nature. Uh, maybe you find in wine or a wedding. The Psalms talk about it. Or you find in, in children or, or perfume. And there, there's all these different spaces in the Bible where the theme of joy is brought to the forefront. I know for myself, when I think about the idea of joy, the first thing that might come to my mind, maybe it comes to yours as well, is the category of desserts. Number one, carrot cake. Number two, cinnamon buns. And if you get those and you get them right, there's very few things in the, in the world that are going to beat the joy that comes out of those two delicious, the sweet, amazing desserts. I, apparently, I just have a sweet tooth and I just love those two things. But that's something that brings me a little joy. Playing soccer with our collective FC soccer team, getting victory, that, that brings me a little joy. A night of board games with, them, with some friends, a riveting conversation, uh, being part of, being part of a baptism or just a powerful moment of, of being in the presence of God in, in, in community. These are moments of joy that speak to who I am at my very core and they, bird, they birth something that is unlike anything other within me. Maybe maybe it is just the fact that I got a sweet tooth, but I think that joy is something that we all desire. But in reality, the joy that we think we might experience might actually be more a good mood or happiness. Because I think we have a sense of joy in moments, but not the biblical joy that we're we're invited to discover right at the beginning of this book. So my invitation to you this morning, would you remove your guards of discomfort? And would you lean in with me to this punchy, direct passage of scripture, James chapter one? And would it be all right if we talked about what's controlling your joy? What's controlling your joy? Let's read out of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It says, consider, and remember that word consider. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's in the NIV. And then out of the message, it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, 
When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Uh, Let's pause for a moment of quick prayer. Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that, that we get to be together in this way. What a gift it is. What a joy that is to even come towards you. And I just pray our hearts are open and ready to receive the challenge that you have for us. That would meet us where we're at. And we would never be the same when we encounter the living Savior in the moments that we find ourselves. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, I asked you at the beginning of this scripture to highlight the word consider because when you pause and consider, I would say something happens. Recently, uh, we were renovating our home and I had a friend of mine come over and he was one of those friends that you always have a deep conversation with. You know what I'm talking about? That you just, you can go a long time without seeing each other. You have a moment together and then you're immediately diving deep. I wouldn't say this was a deep conversation, but it was a thoughtful conversation. As we were working together, we both had a, a can of ginger ale and I looked at the can and I thought to myself, wow, I started to consider the can in particular and the top of the can has that little little gadget, something that opens it, something that makes it possible for you to, to drink and something that holds the straw. And I was considering it and I thought to myself, this is brilliant. Who thought of this? And, and I was like, oh, I'm, so, I'm so glad that he thought of this, whoever or she thought of this. I, it, it doesn't matter when or how, but I was so grateful that they came up with this. I was like, this made my life so much easier in this moment to enjoy a refreshing drink of ginger ale. And you know what? It even changed my perspective on it. I, I began to think to myself, this is brilliant. And this might be a silly example, but I want you to think to yourself, what happens when you consider? What happens when you consider? When I consider, I find that my heart becomes grateful and my eyes get a new perspective. Gratefulness and a new perspective come into the equation. So James, he asks us to consider. And I would say James asks us to do this because this is the journey he's had to go on. Because if we, if we think about the, the author himself, he's the half-brother of Jesus. The biological connection to Jesus doesn't really provide him any real natural advantage or inside track. In fact, if you were to come across your half-brother or your brother and they are making claims to be the savior of the universe, and in a lot of ways, I think to myself that that might be more difficult to receive than the average Joe. And so James finds himself in this position and originally it talks about that there was no real uh, space that he was placing himself into to be in relationship, to be to be following Jesus in the midst of his ministry. But then something dramatic happens and there is a shift in his life and he becomes one of the leaders of the early church. He becomes one of those advocates for, for sharing the good news of Jesus all throughout the region. And, and 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, James has Jesus himself appear to him. 
Rome. And so there, there's this powerful moment for James that shifts everything, that makes him grateful as he considers, and that makes changes his, his perspective as he considers. And James gives this impression of being in a preacher in a hurry because now he's got this new perspective, he's got this gratefulness in his heart, and he has to do something with it. And I wonder in the midst of this pandemic, even in that first word, if we have lost the ability to consider. Because we have lost a sense of gratitude and our perspective has been narrowed. And what would happen, church, if we started to become a people that started to fight for more than just what we see directly in front of us, but we look to the word, we look to community, We expand our imagination of what God is doing in the world and our perspective begins to shift. Gratefulness, gratitude moves into the neighborhood, moves into our hearts and it begins to move us forward because once you have those things in place, the realities of life start to hit a little different because for James, top of his agenda, very beginning of the book, he brings to the forefront trials, And how we respond to them. And it is a practical and a direct approach to it. When he says trials, I wonder what comes to your mind. I know when I think of trials, I think of something more dramatic. I think of a a courtroom. I think of something that is that is taking place on a more wide scale, something that is something that is overwhelming to the nth degree. I I think about it in a more dramatic nature. But when you see this word in in the original language is parasmos and parasmos, it doesn't have to actually deal with something that's cataclysmic or of of a demonic variety, overwhelming. And it's an oppression in particular, what the word trial in this scenario is trying to communicate is pressure. Pressure light like a science experiment. You know, one of those science experiments where you are uh, building a volcano and you're trying to build the pressure within it to actually get the chemical response that creates this this magnificent uh, example of how chemicals work together. And it's the pressure that this trial is talking about. How do we respond when we come under pressure? So we're not to pretend that trials and and grief don't hurt us. That's not what James is saying. Because it is natural and normal that they do. And it would be a denial of our humanity to to pretend that they're not. Pain is a reflex in the midst of trials to the things that we see for ourselves and the things that we see for others. James isn't saying either the fact that we need to go and find our find some way to suffering to in order to experience what God is having for us. What is taking place is not that suffering in of itself is good. James is saying that what God can accomplish through suffering that is good, not the suffering itself. Suffering and trials, they come in the midst of life. That is the reality of the broken world that we are in. But we have a good God that's in the midst of our trials, that's in the midst of our suffering, that's in the midst of our struggle. And it is the goodness of God in the land of the living that makes it a possibility that our suffering and our trials is actually an opportunity to gain the most valuable thing on earth, a faith that is complete and lacking nothing, a maturity and depth in our relationship with God. Because faith isn't meant for comfort or convenience. It is conviction in the midst of our trials and suffering. Hear me this morning. Faith 
isn't meant for comfort or convenience. Faith is a conviction in the midst of our trials and our suffering. Faith experiences the pressure and has a response because pressure can in fact reveal beauty. Pressure can create beauty. Pressure can create clarity. Pressure can create purpose and it can be a revealing of the cracks in our story that our comfort would never actually show or reveal. And this is why we are invited to count all kinds of trials and and sufferings and opportunity to experience God's joy, to experience the goodness of God because God is in the midst of every single one of those moments. And, And out of this faith that we discover, that our perspective shifts when we consider, faith builds And then what the scripture says is it invites us to be steadfast. I remember when I was younger, I had a conversation with someone and they they said that they appreciated the fact that I was steady. And I was like, that's a a nice enough compliment. But I was thinking also to myself, that's not the word I want to be associated with me. I want to be inspirational. I I want to be dynamic. I want to be those words and those adjectives that you would associate with someone that's doing amazing things. Steady doesn't seem to do that. But James wants to push against that. James wants to actually make you consider it from a different perspective. Because he says to be steadfast is actually of great value. And I think we sometimes misconstrue what being steadfast looks like. For, for us, sometimes steadfast is being stubborn or selfish. But in, in fact, steadfast does not equal being stubborn. Steadfast does not equal being selfish. Stelfa- steadfast does not equal being arrogant. In fact, steadfast is a state in which we are the byproduct of love. Steadfast is to be in the state in which we are operating out of a place of humility. To be steadfast as God invites us to be steadfast is about a greater purpose than the one that we can see directly in front front of us. Being steadfast is to be deeply rooted. I love where we call home. I love the mountains and the city and the ocean and the forests all around. And when you go and go for those hikes in the forest, I don't go on them very often, but when I do, I, I enjoy the beauty of nature around us. And we see these gargantuan trees, these beautiful landscapes. And you know that these tall trees with these thick uh, think stumps that we know this to be true, that they are deeply rooted, that they stand steadfast because they are deeply rooted. And my invitation to you, church, is that you might be in a season where you have felt an immense sense of discomfort. But what would happen is that if, if you started to push against that discomfort and you said, I'm going to instead choose to be deeply rooted. That I'm going to be deeply rooted in community, with, with, with relationship with, with my pastors, with my fellow uh, church members. And, and I'm going to choose to pursue a life that is deeply rooted so that I can be steadfast in the midst of my trial. There is an opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus to be steadfast. Because this is where James is taking us. He tells us to consider. And then he moves us to this place of faith. And he says to be steadfast. And then he kind of circles back around to this idea of joy. Because joy is a key theme all the way through. It's all the way through the Bible as well. We talked about it. It's in nature. It's in Psalm 104. It talks about wine and Proverbs. It talks about as children. But when we are steadfast, we experience life in a different way. Eugene Peterson, he, he says it like this. He says, my feelings are important for many things. 
They are essential and valuable. They keep me aware of much that is true and real, but they tell me next to nothing about God or my relation to God. My security comes from who God is, not from how I feel. To be steadfast is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of their circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. All this to say that it brings us full circle. Happiness is a symptom of circumstances, but joy is a product of perspective. James doesn't command us to wear our happy faces. He doesn't tell us to fake it and to pretend like everything's okay. But James is telling us to think about our trials in a certain way. That there is a point of view we need to adopt, in particular, a way to consider what's going on. That you don't need to ignore or suppress your sorrow. There are many kinds of trials, but we are placing our trust that our loss will not be the final word. That Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. It's why even in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, it says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. That the strength I need to survive my trial is the joy I find in my relationship with God. There is joy to be found in the midst of our trial, but it is joy that is found in the Lord. It's the joy that's found in our relationship with Jesus. Because the full effect of a steadfast life is a life that lacks for nothing. And when you are lacking nothing, it would would seem to indicate that joy is part of what you have experienced. The joy is part of what you've found. So it's saying to consider it all pure joy and then it tells us to persevere. It tells us to be steadfast and this is what James is trying to show us that it's a cycle. That it's a cycle that we're taking on. That when I consider it pure joy, I begin to dig my roots in and I become steadfast in the midst of my trial. But as I stand steadfast, I begin to lack nothing. And when I lack nothing, I can consider it all joy. And when I consider it all joy, I put my deeper roots in and I stand steadfast and I lack nothing. And I consider it all joy and joy and steadfastness. They go hand in hand and they feed each other and they serve one another. And if you're feeling like you are lacking a sense of being steadfast in this season, consider it joy. If you feel like you're lacking joy in this season, why don't you try and be a little steadfast? And then you'll, even just a little bit, will feed into the other. And it'll feed into the other. And those little steps every single day, those decisions you make every single morning, will build this beautiful story of God's steadfastness taking root in your life and producing incomparable, unconditional pure joy. I need joy in the midst of this season. I don't want my discomfort to drive the bus, but I want to make a decision that I'm going to put deeper roots in so I can stand steadfast in the midst of the trial, knowing that I will experience the joy that comes from the Lord. The full effect of steadfastness is lacking nothing, not being discontent, not lusting for something more, not rushing past what is, but wholly content in the arms of a loving God, a steadfast God, trusting that he is present in every trial. So I count it all joy. Steadfast is not ignorance. 
and choosing joy isn't fake happiness. It's actually this beautiful cycle that we get to discover when we're in a relationship with God. So as I close this, this morning, I want to invite you to ask the question, what, what is it to be steadfast? What is it to actually do what it says at the very beginning to consider? Well, I think it starts here. Every morning, make a daily decision to return to the source and choose joy that is more a product of your perspective and not your problem. That you're going to say today, hey, my perspective is based upon the Savior that I have seen at work in the lives of people around, around me and in my own story. That, I, that on this day, I'm going to place my hope in Jesus. And every morning I need to do it again and I need to do it again and I need to do it again and my roots get a little deeper and my joy gets a little bigger and that cycle produces something incredibly beautiful that you don't even recognize who you are a month later. So would you do that with me this week? Would you pause and consider and begin the shift of perspective from this place of discomfort to deeply rooted so that we can be steadfast in the joy that God has shown to us? And if you're watching this morning and you don't know about this joy because this is your first time coming across a a Christian perspective or or, or in a church service. And if you're asking yourself the question, I I don't know where to get that joy. I I don't know where to put my perspective. On a cross 2,000 years ago, there was the Savior of the universe, God in flesh that came not out of obligation, but out of love. Out of this this overwhelming unconditional love that was poured out upon humanity humanity and even when we rejected him god said that i'm going to come and be all that you need and more i'm going to give of myself so that you can experience the fullness of life in relationship with me and we get to discover a relationship with god the fullness of life the joy of the lord when we say jesus come into my story come into my life I want to commit my heart to you. And if that's you this morning, I would just invite you. Would you just uh, reach out to someone here on the team? You know, they would love to talk to you. They'd love to be a part of, uh, they'd love to be part of your journey. Today could just be the beginning of discovering what joy can do with you. Let me just end our time in a word of prayer. So Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can place our hope and our trust in you that we can look to you and be, find ourselves an opportunity to be deeply rooted even in the midst of a trial or a moment of suffering. That it might not seem logical or reasonable, or that it might, uh, might not seem like we can even do it for ourselves, but, but by the grace of God, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I just pray right now for all who are experiencing immense discomfort or just feeling disconnected, that you would just meet them where they're at and show them just a glimpse, just a tidbit of your joy. Just a tidbit of what it means to be steadfast and be rooted in you and how that changes everything. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in the the midst of our homes this morning. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. 
For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.